Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Now, Beth has just uh, come, came up to me and said that uh, she felt a sense of God saying today for us that the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. And I think that ties in really closely and well with what I'm going to bring today about the work of the Holy Spirit in us as individuals and in the church. And we may not feel like the church is the hope of the world. We may look around and think, really? What this? And, and what me? Because I'm part of this. But the, but the church is the hope of the world. And so uh, as we come to God's word, let's uh, come in faith and expectation that the Holy Spirit can speak. And uh, not just speak, but, but do stuff in us, do stuff to us, and do stuff with us. So let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you that you've been present with us already, and uh, we thank you for that great promise that the church is the hope of the world. And the church may be sometimes hidden, and sometimes it feels like we're under the surface and we're under the ground and we're hidden. Uh, but, Father, even when we are hidden, you are doing stuff to build your church into the body of Christ that will emerge. And so we pray, Father, that even though we may feel hidden, that the day will come when your church will emerge and it will be um, visible and evident in this area where we live. Lord, we thank you for all that you are doing across the world. We thank you for the way that your church has grown exponentially in places like China. Uh, Lord, but we want to see it here as this country becomes darker, as it turns its face away from you more and more, as it ridicules the church, as it as it considers it um, just an, an irrelevance, something to mock, that God doesn't exist, that what we see is all there is. Lord, as this nation turns we pray your church will emerge. And therefore we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to flood and to fill and to fall upon your church in this land and in this city and in this building. Lord, we ask you to do it in Jesus. Okay, so we're on a, in a series looking at the work of the Holy Spirit lead up to our weekend away and with an expectation that we're praying for the Holy Spirit to come that weekend particularly but you know what the Spirit says in the Bible it's like the wind it goes where it, it goes where he will and when he will we can ask but it will be up to him and that also means that he might not wait till the weekend yeah. Yeah. who knows because he goes where he will and I want us today to just look at this thing called the baptism in the Spirit, which if you've been around church for a while, you'll have heard about it. And I don't want to speak particularly too long about the theology of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, although I will touch on that. But if that is something where you think, I, I want to understand what this baptism of the Spirit is, I want to understand what the biblical basis for it is, then there's a good couple of books that I can lend you. So come see me at the end. Uh, one by Terry Virgo called The Spiritual Church, which is a great accessible book. And then another one which is a bit older by a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones 
called Joy Unspeakable, um, which, is, which is, again, fantastic book about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So if you're unsure theological about, theologically about it, because I don't want to go too much into that this morning, then feel free to come ask me and I can lend you one of those two books. Okay, we're going to read from uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and then we'll go uh, into just into a little bit of Acts chapter, chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1 will come up on the, on the PowerPoint for you. And Larry, I want you to be good enough to read that. So Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, so this is Luke writing. Luke writes the book of Acts. He's also obviously written his Gospel, which is his first book. And so he's now telling Theophilus, he's writing this book for, but this is his second book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus was raised, he spent those 40 days speaking. One of the translations says he was teaching. So during that period of resurrection before he ascended, he was teaching the disciples about the kingdom. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he, they are still thinking that somehow, even this death and resurrection of Jesus is something to do with like the restoring of the kingdom, being delivered from the Romans. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father sits by his own authority. Don't you worry about that, in other words, he's saying. Mind your business. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house of and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word baptism, it means to plunge, to immerse, to drench. It's not actually a spiritual word. It's not particularly a word to do with religion. Religious practice it certainly wasn't back then. It was just a word that, it's a Greek word that just means to plunge under water, to immerse, to drench. That's what baptism means. And Jesus is praying here, or saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the disciples. And this is different to the Holy Spirit's 
ongoing work in us. We can't come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws us, and he is active in bringing us to Christ. But here, Jesus is talking about another experience, a different experience, a distinct and separate experience from the Spirit working in us when he first brings us to Christ, when he is active in us. This is a different experience, a distinct one that Jesus is talking about. There has been lots of controversy about this over the years. Some people believe that uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we're first saved, and that it's not a distinct experience. Some people would say that all of that, that, that evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in the early days of the church was just God's way of getting the church kick-started, and that those gifts of the Spirit are now not relevant for the church now, that they were just for the start of the church. That's not something that we believe. We believe the Bible teaches, and we also believe experientially that the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes us, and he is willing to do that and wanting to do that as a separate experience. Why? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that these disciples had been the witnesses of all of Jesus' teaching, all of his miracles, then of his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension, you would think that that would be enough for them to be his witnesses. If you have seen that type of stuff, you're going to go out, you're going to tell people about it. But actually, do you know what Jesus is saying? That's not Having a memory of an experience of God, having been persuaded doctrinally, I believe this, is so important, but it's not enough. And Jesus is saying it is not enough. He says a bit earlier in the book of John, he says, um, I, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. That's not talking about the resurrection and coming back, because he's going to be taken away again. And sometimes both uh, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter will refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. In other words, when Jesus says to the disciples, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he knew that just having good memories of what they'd seen and heard was not going to be enough. And you know, it's not enough for us. Which is why the baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that if we've not had it, we should seek it. It's not just a kickstart us as a Christian. It's not just something that was to kickstart the early church about so much more than that. Now, this guy, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, has written this great book. He, he writes this about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He says that it's always about witness and testimony. It's always, this is what he says, the baptism in the Spirit is always associated primarily and specifically with witness and testimony and service. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when he would talk to me about you need the, the, the filling of the Spirit so you can be his witness. I think, <laughs> there are times when I can think, I don't, do you know, I don't know. Because 
Lord, if you're going to come on me, it's going to make me go out there, or it's going to make me, I don't know whether I want that too much. Do you know, I think probably the disciples felt the same. The change that came about when the Spirit came on was so dramatic, no one didn't care about it anymore. When you think about the account in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are hauled up in front of the Jewish elders because they've been talking about Jesus in the temple, because crowds have run to them after they have healed the lame beggar. So they've encountered this lame beggar at the gate of the temple. Peter's prayed. He's been healed. Everybody knows this guy. He's been at the gate of the temple begging for years. It's not like this is going to be hidden. This guy's jumping up on his feet, and crowds run to Peter and John, and they begin to tell them about Jesus. And then they're arrested by the temple guards, and they have to appear in front of the elders. And the elders of the temple say, you've got to stop talking about this guy. And Peter and John say, we cannot help but talk about the things that we've seen in there. Do you know what? A few months earlier, they could help it. In fact, they ran away. In fact, they said they didn't know him. They could help it. Now they can't help it. That's what happens when you are baptised in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit comes to do. He comes to touch you in such a way that you can't help it anymore. And you know what? And you don't care. You don't care. I wonder if you're feeling like that now. I wonder if that's your current experience today. I wonder if it is. Do you know what? If it isn't, there is good news for us because the Holy Spirit, when he baptizes, there's evidence in the Bible that he doesn't just do it like this. So in Acts chapter 4, we've got this account of the disciples John and Peter being arrested, and then they go back to the other disciples. And they say, they tell them what's happened, and it says that all of the disciples, all of the believers, with one voice, began to pray. And they prayed, confirming and affirming their belief in the sovereignty of God, and they prayed for boldness, and it says, as they were praying, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and the place where they were was shaken. This is not Pentecost. Pentecost has already happened. And these are the same guys. These are the same guys that were baptised in the Spirit at Pentecost. And a little bit later, they, they are filled with the Spirit once again. And actually, if you read then the rest of Acts, you find that often when Peter or Paul or the other apostles were about to stand up and declare something, or they were facing something, the Bible often says in Acts, and Peter, filled with the Spirit, Paul, filled with the Spirit, spoke out or looked directly at them and said, see, this promise of the falling upon, the filling, the baptizing, the immersing of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-off. It doesn't have to be. It can be more than that. It needs to be more than that. A guy called uh, D.L. Moody who was an American evangelist in the 1800s. And he had this experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit. He had been a church leader for a long time. He was a successful church pastor. 
I think, with a pretty big church in Chicago. And uh, it's interesting, what his account says is that there were two old ladies sitting in the front row of the church who were praying. And at one point, they come up to him, and these two old ladies say, we're praying for you to be baptised in the Spirit. And Moody says, he's got, he's got a little bit angst and agitated. I'm not doing, doing well enough now. And he feels a bit of agitation about it. But week after week, he sees these two old ladies sitting in the front row. So he says in his account that in the end he gave up and joined in. So he met with them on a Friday, these two old ladies, and they began to pray that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, in the 1800s, I think it was in 1871, his church in Chicago is burnt down in the Great Fire of Chicago. And he goes to New York to seek some funding. And he says in his account that he was walking up and down the streets in New York, night and day, not just looking for funding, but praying for this building of the Spirit. And then this is his, his account. One day, in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truth, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be small dust in the hands. And if you read the history of the church, time after time after you all read about Christians through the centuries who have had this experience of the falling upon of the Holy Spirit. And He is available for us. And He is available for you. And it's not just for church leaders, it's not just for great apostles. Because Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. It's what marks us out. Do you know what? It marks us out from any other religious group. It marks us out because God says, I will come and be with you and on you and in you and I will empower you. And it is not just about you keeping rules. And it is not just about you holding on time trying to believe something. No, I will come and call upon you. I will be in you. I will give you power to live a life that glorifies and pleases me. And I will give you my very presence. You know, if you read in, in uh, Peter's first letter, he writes to the churches he's writing to, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not you do not still see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, it was the common experience of the early church to have this sense of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul says, even though you've not seen him, you're filled, you love him, and you've been filled with inexpressible joy, why is that? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings to us and makes real to us what this intense love of Christ is. 
That's why Paul prays that for the churches. He says, I pray that you that you'll be rooted and established in love. You may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of God and to know that love and to know his power within you. And just before that, he says, how are you going to do that? Oh, through the spirit that he sends you to do that. Well, experience the intensity of his love because that's what it is that the spirit brings. Otherwise, all we're doing is working from, if you like, second-hand experience. But as Christians, we don't have to work from second-hand experience because of the Spirit comes to us. It becomes first-hand experience for us. Do you know, as I'm prepared for this, I have prepared first. I have prepared first. We might ask the question, why, why then, Father, is, is that our Christian life not right? But you know, I think there are a number of reasons for that. One can be that we quench or grieve the Spirit. The Bible says that both those things are possible. We can quench it, we can grieve it. We can do that by disobedience, we can do that by sin, we can do that by, by resisting and doing something that we can grieve it. We can and we can um, quench it. But it's not just because of that. Sometimes we don't experience it because God's doing other things in us. We know that God wants to build endurance in us and faith, and sometimes that comes through affliction. And sometimes he just wants us to hold on to him. Sometimes he knows that unless we feel a little bit distanced from him, we won't press in. So sometimes he, it's almost like, if you're, where are you? You were here yesterday, but where are you now? It's almost like it feels like God's withdrawing. He's not, but we don't sense it so intensely, intimately. God is doing other things in us during those times, during those seasons. But do you know what? He also intends us to experience times of refreshing. This is exactly what um, Peter says when he talks to the crowd after Pentecost, and they're all saying, you know, what, what, what should we do? And Peter says, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God intends us also to experience times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. That's what the Spirit brings. It brings times of refreshing. So if you are in a time of the moment where you think, I'll feel a little bit far from there. Or feels like he's a bit distant. It's been a bit of a struggle. Be encouraged. Do you know what? Sometimes that is because God is making you thirsty for him. And we'll come to what you need to do with your thirst in a moment. But if you're feeling like that, sometimes that is God. Because he is still with you. We know that. He never leaves or forsakes us. But sometimes it feels like he's further away. Why does that happen? Because sometimes... He wants us to press in and to ask him and to thirst for him and then he will come. Now there's nothing like a glass of cool water from the cross. And you've been walking up a hill and it's really, really hot and it's been dusty and it's hard going. And then at the end of it, you get, I don't know if you've ever seen the film called Ice Cold and Cold. It's a wartime film. It's a wartime film. 
John Mills in here. Some people will know this. Tell me his name. What? Okay, so war, film from the um, 1940 the wartime film. These guys who are going through the desert, trying to get an army ambulance through the desert, and they run out of petrol and they encounter the Germans and all sorts of things happen. Anyway, at the end, they get to this town called Alice. And they go into the pub in Alice. And this guy orders four beers. And he sits there as one of the great images of it. And all of these glasses of lava. Do you know what? Thirst comes in different forms. Sometimes, thirst is a motivator. Thirst is not going to must get on the schedule of one. get left and get left and It motivates you to action. Do you know what? Sometimes, if you've been thirst for a long time, you are really You are really And actually, you don't need to have the energy to have it. It's And do you know what? Time Stage, don't you? If you've ever seen a film, people do that later. They get to this stage where actually they just, they just pop it up. They haven't got the energy to, to go and get a drink. That is what you need to do, you need to lift their head up. They can actually, they may even be a bit resistant to it, but they just reach that stage where actually everything is closing down. Not that everything is that spirit, you can't keep it that everything is just closing down. So if you are feeling thirsty, don't do this thing. What should you do if you're thirsty? Well, there's a passage that most of us have written from my really young age where Jesus talks about arms, sitting, knock. And though that prayer that he encourages us to pray is within the context of asking for the Holy Spirit. Because the next, the very next thing after he says, ask, seek, and knock, is that little story about, okay, but if you've got a father, you ask the father, does he give you a stone, you want an egg? Or if you, you know, if you want a fish, does he give you a scorpion? No. And therefore, if your father wouldn't do that for you, your heavenly father will give you what if you ask for it? The Holy Spirit. That ask, seek, and knock is about asking for the Holy Spirit. Just before the ask, seek, and knock bit comes the story about the, the guy who says, I've got visitors that have come, and he goes next door and he shouts to his friend, uh, look, can you, I just need to buy some loads of bread, I've got some guys who've come to visit, and he said, oh, I'm just a big bed, I'm in bed, I've got kids, I'm not going to get up, I need to bring loads of bread. But he keeps on, in the end, the guy says, oh, perfect. That persistence in prayer, again, is in that same section where 
Luke is writing about Jesus saying, if you ask the Holy for the Holy Spirit, God will give it to you. But how do you need to ask? Well, sometimes you need to persist. Sometimes you need to ask, to seek, to knock. You'll see the increasing intensity that comes with that. Ask the place in you. Seek. I'll get my Bible out and I'll read that Bible spirit. I'll find out when he came. Seek him. Not God. I need you. Holy Spirit needs you. Ask. Seek. Not. Then you have to about it. Do you know what? If you can come to the end of the year, come to the The stories in the New Testament about the Spirit show us that he doesn't do it by a formula. It's not that we do this, but this the spirit comes. No, he grows where he will. And there's one lovely story in Acts where Paul, where Paul is, um, where, sorry, where Peter is uh, called to go and talk to the Gentiles for the first time. The first time that anyone's ever presented the gospel to people who weren't Jews. And there's this whole vision thing that this guy Cornelius has, and he says, God says through a vision, go, go and get Paul from this place called Joppa. Uh, sorry, Peter from this place called Joppa. And while that's happening, Peter's on the on the roof and he has a vision about nothing being unclean. And then suddenly these guys appear at the door at the same time. And so he goes to Cornelius' house and he says that while he's talking and telling them about Jesus, because they were already godly, they were already believers, but he's telling them the truth about Jesus. Just as he's talking, he says, and the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began speak in tongues and to prophesy. Well, these guys didn't. I mean, they hardly knew anything. And yet the Spirit suddenly comes. Sometimes, you know, we ask and we have to wait. And sometimes we just can't. But if you are first of all, you ask. This is what um, Martin Wilson says. I love this quote. Listen to this. The Christian is not meant to be someone who is just managing to hold on and who is miserable and unhappy and forcing himself to do Christian things, dragging himself, as it were, to church. Dragging himself, as it were, to church. But what happens when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, as you read throughout Acts, is that they want to keep together to get together as often as they can. They continue daily, steadfastly, talking about these things, singing together, <coughs> praising God together. Lloyd-Jones says, I am certain that the world outside is not going to pay much attention to all the organised efforts of the Christian church. But one thing she will pay attention to is a body of people filled with this spiritual This is how Christianity conquered the ancient world. It was amazing, this amazing joy of these people. Even when you took them into prison, or even to death, it did not matter. They just went on rejoicing. See, the world will not be persuaded by our organized efforts. It will only be persuaded by a genuine outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's why we should pray for revival in this nation. Revival. Because unless revival comes, the world will not be persuaded by wise and persuasive words. So these streams of living water are for those who are thirsty. They are for those who are thirsty. 
So can I just give you a bit of advice about if you are thirsty and some things that not to be surprised by if you begin to ask yourself questions and question them. Don't be surprised if when you seek it, the devil gets interested. He will. I had an example really recently from a conversation I had with somebody who just talked about really pressing into God and wanting to press into God and to experience that intensity of relationship with him. And then within a week or so, there's an unusual sense of tension and just pressing. And the enemy is interested. And it was good to be able to encourage that person and say, now this isn't because there's something wrong with you. This isn't because you've done something wrong. This is actually probably because you've done something right. Because the devil gets interested when we seek that power and that intensity of relationship with Jesus. He gets interested because he knows that's what transforms us. He's not interested in us if we're not seeking that. If we're just jogging along, then he's fine with that. But he will become interested in Don't be afraid if that happens. What should you do if that happens? You should do what my friend did. He came to me and said, oh, just, stuff's happening to me, I just... Oh, okay, no, no, just, no, no, okay. Just, let's keep you safe. Let's put some stuff in place to help you to overcome this temptation. Because this has come because you're seeking this. So be prepared for that. Put on the full armour of God. Forewarn this forearm. If you want to seek a refreshment of the Holy Spirit, if you are tired of the mundane, just living, and it's difficult, and I keep believing that, well, Lord, I would just love a refreshing, I would love to sense that power. If you ask for that, don't be afraid of the temptation that will come. It will come, but then be wise about what you do when it comes. Because what the enemy is about is trying to jettison this for you and undermine it and pull the rug from under you so that in fact then what you do is you give in to temptation and then you end up grieving and questioning the spirit. So when that temptation comes, be encouraged that the enemy is interested in you and then go and seek help. Find a brother or sister you love and trust and say, oh, this is happening to me. They're not going to think, if this is someone who you love and trust, and you should love and trust people who walk close to the Lord, they're going to say, oh, you be intense because of what you're seeking. Don't be surprised if temptation comes. Don't be surprised if temptation is Quite often, it seems to me that he would do that just in the point of view he's able to do something as he wants him to be pure. The cup that he wants to fill, he wants it to be clean on the inside. And so he may bring conviction of sin to you. Again, don't discourage that. You might need to act. It might be that within that conviction of sin that the Spirit brings, you think, It may be difficult. It would. Don't give up on that energy. If 
the Lord convicts you about something. And maybe that he convicts you about something and you repent, and that's all you need to do. Maybe that he convicts you about something you think, I think I'm going to go to make this part of something else. If he does that, ask him for his help in that and go do it. Because he may be giving conviction of sin to you. So don't be afraid if you use conditional sin when you start your thing Don't be surprised if a sense of call to obedience in your life comes. If you send the word saying to you, I have such a desire. That God is somehow for you. Now I'm not saying that all those things necessarily have to happen to you before the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he does what he wants. And he doesn't do it according to a So you may ask him, and he may call on you. Praise the Lord. You may ask him, and there may be a time of waiting. When he wants you to do some stuff in his face. He does. Praise the Lord. He will do it in his own way. And just before a storm comes, you sometimes get that sense of a bit of light. You have faith, the lull before the storm. And, uh, and what happens when a storm comes, and we can say about storms, is um, the hot air rises up with lots of moisture in it, and, uh, and then because it goes up so quickly, it sort of leaves a vacuum here. And so uh, that's why then when it comes back down again, it drops all the moisture into the clouds, and then it falls back down again really fast, and that's why you get the wind. But there's a moment where there's the lull. So the, the hot air has gone up, and it's dumping all the moisture that's becoming the big black clouds that are going to fall in rain. And at that period then, there's like a lull. There's a vacuum, there's a bit of a lull. Before then, the wind comes and the rain falls. And like sometimes in our life, I feel like, you know, oh, it's There's just no movement. I've asked for this, but there's no movement. Sometimes that's just a lull. As the lull before the storm, that is the lull before the water in the of the world. So if you're in the lull at the moment, or if you start to pray for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit and nothing happens, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Jesus said to you and to me, if you ask the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. You can be sure of what we can't be sure of is the timing, and we can't be sure of the place. He uses vehicles for it. Sometimes we go to a conference, the Holy Spirit comes. Sometimes we're in a meeting, the Holy Spirit comes. Sometimes, like Theo and me do, you're talking to the Spirit on your own, and the Spirit comes. Ask the Lord. Ask Don't worry if there's a lot. You know what? Much of our Christian lives, we live, lives of faith, our strong convictions, our trust and dependence in God's promises. We live by faith and not on sight. We fight the good fight of faith, but we also long for times of reflection and the presence of the Lord. And we need that. We need that. I read that this year, and I'm saying to you, 
And we've got, I think in the church, now, we've got something like eight lawyers. Eight lawyers in the church now. So we're, we're well set up if we do anything wrong. Not that I'm holding my hands, but there you go. Um, but it's a bit like the difference between you can get a lawyer, a good lawyer, who will make a good case, reasoned, well evidenced, and you need that. But also what you need is the sense of the witness who's been there and experienced it. And that's strong and powerful. So in our lives we need those times when we dig deep into the Bible, where we know what our faith is, where, like Paul says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. But we also need to I don't want just to talk to people I meet at work or in the street about what the Bible teaches. I do want to tell them about what the Bible teaches about salvation. It's so important. But I also want to be able to say, oh yeah, he's speaking, and this is what happened to me. We want to be advocates and so we need to be able to Let's stand for I'm going to ask the four You know, as I was preparing this, um, I just had the phrase go around in my head, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And there's a story where Jesus, you know the story where Jesus goes to his own town. And it says there that he couldn't do much there uh, because they didn't believe him. He couldn't do much. And then in the next chapter, it talks about him going to other villages where they were reaching out desperately just to touch the hands of the There is a danger for us if we've been Christians a long time, especially if we think, oh, I don't know whether that's for me, I don't know whether that happens now, I don't know whether that happens here. Now, this is just how we are, where that sort of sense of familiarity Oh, no, it happened to us. Isn't that something like me? You know what? An attitude like that quenches the power of the Spirit. It says Jesus was not able to do many miracles because they didn't have faith in But the other place is they reached out and just touched their hand with God. Why? Because they knew if they did it, they were going to get it. So, if you know, for you, you go, oh, no. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.